Welcome back to Brainy Blaze, a weekly podcast about epilepsy by people with epilepsy, for people with epilepsy, and our carers. I'm your host, David Clifford. This is the first in a new series regarding how to start and navigate a career while having intractable epilepsy. In this episode, we will talk through the Americans with Disabilities Act and the protection it affords to people with disabilities, including people with epilepsy. If you're new to Brainy Blaze, I just want to state that I'm not a medical expert. I'm just someone that has struggled with the ins and outs of epilepsy for almost three decades. I think Chris Rock said it best when he described the difference between a job and a career. This ain't really work, though. This is not really work. This is my career. It's not really a job. This is my career. You know, some people have jobs. Some people have careers. Some of y'all in the audience. Some of y'all got jobs. Some of you have careers. Now, the people in the audience with careers need to learn to shut the up when you're around people with jobs. They don't want to hear your career bullshit. Keep that shit to yourself. Okay? Don't let your happiness make somebody sad. Because that's what it does. In these next few episodes, I'm going to go against Chris's recommendation and talk about careers. I do this because there's little to no resources for people with epilepsy who wish to start and navigate through a career. It seems all the resources I found were essentially teaching people how to not get fired. And that's not really a career. That's just a job with a salary. The nature of epilepsy is that it's random. A seizure is going to hit when it hits, and it's usually at the most inopportune time. Intractable or medical-resistant epilepsy means that the traditional anti-seizure medications that should work to stop our seizures just don't. And to a person with intractable epilepsy, a traditional job with a time clock is often impossible to maintain. As a group, we can handle a tremendous workload, but often can't get to work every day from 9 to 5. And when you're a person with epilepsy living in the United States, a career must include health insurance. A chronic illness is expensive, but epilepsy seems to be outrageous. Without health insurance, the cost of treatment is cost prohibitive to most people. The health insurance industry in the United States often quotes a 1995 study that estimates the cost of epilepsy to the United States economy as over $12 billion annually. If one doesn't look at the finer details in that study, one might think that the health insurance companies were flipping the full cost of that $12 billion. I mean, they're paying for a medication, access to scans like EEGs and MRIs, and our visits to our doctors, right? Instead, an estimated 85% of that $12 billion is actually spent in paying employees the raw man hours that are lost when people with epilepsy take time from work to recuperate from seizures and or pursue treatment. Think about it. For those of you that do work, how many hours have you taken off work this year to pursue treatment? When one considers there is an estimated 3.5 million other Americans that could potentially take that much time off, the numbers are staggering. Health insurance companies do not pay the majority of the $12 billion. Our employers do. The first major milestone in disability rights was the enacting of Section 504 in the Rehabilitation Act in 1974. It states that no other qualified individual with handicap in the United States shall solely be reason of her or his handicap be excluded from the participation in, be denied the benefits of, or be subjected to the discrimination under any program or activity receiving federal financial assistance. It was the first time that people with disabilities were treated as a class of people, similar to the people of a particular race or people of a particular gender. Unfortunately, the classification was only applied in the federal level and not in the states. This is why previous generations of workers had to deal with their employers doing this. So Belushi and Aykroyd are up there dancing their hearts out. I didn't know he could dance either. Mr. Putnam, Sheila from accounting is here. Uh, I have to take care of something. I'll have to call you back later. Send her in, please. 
Sheila, so good of you to drop by. Uh, you asked me to? Come on in, sit down. This is the hardest part of my job. Are you firing me? Things have come down from on high, Sheila. I don't understand. Well, you did have a seizure in front of Mr. Harrison, and he's our biggest contract. What did you expect? In 1990, Congress passed the Americans with Disabilities Act. It filled the gaps between the 504 federal legislation to extend protection for people with disabilities to the whole United States. We cannot be discriminated against just because of our seizures. The ADA also stipulates that we also can't be fired for just having epilepsy. The Americans with Disabilities Act requires that some employers make reasonable accommodations for any person with disability so they can accomplish the essential functions of their job. The act doesn't stipulate what is reasonable versus unreasonable. Each employee must undergo a negotiation process with their employer. It also turns out that not all employers are required by the act to provide accommodations. It only requires that companies that have greater than 15 employees comply. So a small mom-and-pop store selling dresses may not need to provide accommodations whatsoever. So what makes an accommodation reasonable? There are two extremes in any negotiation process. One extreme is the employer that can't treat you special just because you are sick all the time. What would the other employees think? And on the other extreme side is the employee that will sue you and this company for everything you're worth if I don't get what I want. You should always stand up for yourself and start the negotiation process for any reasonable accommodation you need to fulfill your essential duties for your job. Fair warning, though. When heading into a negotiation, choosing to use an antagonistic strategy is almost never a good idea. Instead, you have to be able to translate why your reasonable accommodation should be reasonable for your employer for your position. This is complicated, as there's often a fine line between divulging too much information about your condition. Your job is to help them understand why this accommodation will increase your productivity as an employee. According to the Job Accommodation Network, or JAN, which is funded by the contract from the U.S. Department of Labor Office of Disability Employment Policy, or ODEP, quote, a major of claims for reasonable accommodation, or 58%, costs absolutely nothing to make, end quote. If you're anything like me, you can't handle sitting in front of a screen too long before you get headaches. If an essential duty for your job is to sit in front of a $2,000 laptop screen eight hours a day, you might ask for a blue light filter for your computer screen. Is that reasonable? In our opinion, it seems so. We found a blue light filter on Amazon for less than $60. What if you're a professor of archaeology at a small university and you walk out in your class in the middle of office hours with literally no prior notice to spend weeks outside of Cairo searching for lost antiquities? That's going to be a harder negotiation. Here's the big question that all of you have. Is it reasonable to ask for time off to recuperate from my seizures? We want to say yes, always. But honestly, it's a little more tricky. An obvious question that any employer will ask is, how much time off will you need? This particular question is frustrating because if an employer only knew that our seizures are completely random, they wouldn't ask it. This is a great learning opportunity for your employer. Rather than just assuming they have any notion of seizures or epilepsy, fill in the gaps. Help them understand how often your seizures occur and how long of a recuperation time you need between seizures. The size of the company for which one works is also very important when trying to figure out if an accommodation is reasonable. Are you the only person that can fulfill the essential duty, or is there another person who can reasonably help out with your shift when needed? If an essential task of your job is to work a front desk alone from 9 to 5 answering phones for a small dental office, you might have a hard time negotiating with your employer over recuperation time for daily seizures that require 4 hours of rest. If an essential duty of your job is to work remotely on a marketing campaign for a 200-person firm, your negotiation for the same hours off might be easier. 
The negotiation of reasonable accommodations is another reason why it is even more important for people of epilepsy to have a career and not just a job. Often, as an hourly employee, there is no barrier to entry for another employee to make your job obsolete by fulfilling the essential duty for which you need a reasonable accommodation. From my own experience, I can honestly say that any 14-year-old can manage the all-you-can-eat buffet at Sizzler. Are there even Sizzlers around anymore? Can anyone just step in and manage a multi-million dollar project for a blue-chip public company? In my personal opinion, there is a right way of taking time off from work. Don't wait until you have a seizure to alert your employer and close employees that you have need time off. Alert your employer early on or even during the hiring process. Talk to the people around you as your work may suddenly shift onto them if you're required to take some leave. Most importantly, don't fall into the trap that most of us wander into and wait until you have a seizure before resuming medical treatment. Let's assume that one has a period of three months between seizures. The worst thing you can do is take a week off after every seizure to perform all the testing needed. Sure, it might fit into your schedule, but is it really fair for your employer and those around you? It's much better to schedule appointments on regular intervals. But can you and your employer work out a certain day of the week where they know you might be out to handle your treatment? With the proper detail paid to scheduling, one can have a neurologist appointment in the morning and an MRI in the afternoon. Another key important factor of receiving a reasonable accommodation is to not flaunt it in front of the people with whom you work. Epilepsy is an invisible condition. Unless you're willing to tell everyone on your team about how epilepsy affects you, you shouldn't alert them of the reasonable accommodation of which you have been given. In the dog-eat-dog -dog world, where rumors around the water cooler run wild, stories will come out of you getting preferred treatment. Remember, they don't even know that you have epilepsy, and won't understand why you're getting treated differently. Of course, it is important to note that just because the law says that an employee cannot be fired for having a disability like epilepsy, it doesn't mean that firings don't happen. There are plenty of reasons why you can still get fired without official documentation citing seizures or epilepsy. Did you see what the president tweeted last night? No. What was it? Oh, you gotta hear this. She's here. You ready? Uh, sure. Remember, don't bring up the seizure unless she does. Right, right, right. Here we go. Good morning, Sheila. Thanks for stopping by. You told me to, Mr. Putnam. Come on in, come on in, have a seat. Good morning, Sheila. I'm sorry, who are you? Oh, that is Miss Richards from our Human Resources Department. Human Resources? Great to meet you, Sheila. Uh, nice to meet you too. Am I in some sort of trouble? This is the worst part of my job. Wait, are you firing me? The decision has come in on high to let you go. This isn't about what happened yesterday, right? What happened yesterday? I, I just don't remember. I had a seizure in front of Miss Harrison. And she is our biggest client. You did? I guess I didn't get that information. Are you okay? I feel terrible, actually. No, 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 no. I assure you this has nothing to do with your seizures. This is, uh... Uh... <sighs> I think what Mr. Putnam is trying to say, Sheila, is that this has been a long time coming. I mean, you're missing days of work. We have reports of your projects never coming in on time. I'm missing my days from work because I'm visiting with my doctors to determine my treatment for my seizures. And we wish you well. So what can you do to prevent your job from becoming obsolete? First thing you should do is start documenting your seizures and any time off that you take for your treatment. It only takes a line in your journal to describe what your time off was for. You just never know when you're going to need this information. Rather than making one request for each reasonable accommodation, think about all the accommodations you will need. Write them down. Then make one request for all of them at the same time. This will save you, and more importantly, your manager, time. 
Your manager will be more likely to agree to a batch rather than having to go through the paperwork one at a time. Take the time to honestly learn how you can help your manager with the paperwork. If your company is paperwork heavy, it might be a hassle for her to do it. Show her that you are willing to pitch in to help guide the accommodations through the system. Anything to get them solved, right? Of course, keep learning and refining your skills. The more you can make yourself meaningful to your employer, the more likely they are to make accommodations. And one final note. Though they might sound like a great person to whom to talk through your problems, the allegiance of any representative of a human resources department is still the employer and not the employee. They are there to help you, of course, but if things do go sideways, their ultimate allegiance is to the employer and not you. We hope your company is willing to accommodate you. I mean, who wants to work for a company that doesn't support you? Have you gone through this process with your employer? We would love to hear any of your comments or questions regarding this or any of our other episodes. You can reach out to us via email at social at or on Twitter at BrainyBlaze. If you like this episode, consider subscribing or even helping us by providing a five-star rating on Apple Podcasts or wherever you download your content. With more reviews and higher ratings, we can reach a broader audience. One small click really does help. See you next time.